Well, this past week, we were unfortunately given a sad reminder of the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world on top of this weekend being Memorial Day, and we remember the countless number of lives who have uh, ultimately experienced death because of turmoil, because of sin, because of evil people in this world. In this past week, uh, we saw a young man killed 19 children and two teachers in a school shooting down in Texas. And uh, it's truly heartbreaking to hear of such stories. We have to remind ourselves that there's nothing new under the sun. Ever since Adam and Eve, ever since the first man and woman who have lived here on earth, we have lived in a broken world where we have experienced trauma, where we have experienced devastation, and unfortunately, we have experienced uh, death at the hands of evil people. So this morning, I just want to start by lifting up uh, both the Rob Elementary School uh, where the shooting took place, and I want to lift up all the families uh, who have been impacted by the countless of wars in the past number of years and the fact that they have lost loved ones uh, due to war. So let's go ahead as a church, let's lift up those people in Rob Elementary and uh, those families who have soldiers who have died. Let's lift them up in prayer this morning, if you'll bow with me. Father, we love you. Father, uh, I just pray that you lift up the community over at the Rob Elementary School all of the children and uh, the two teachers as well who were killed at the hands of a sinful man. And Father, I just pray that you surround them with your love and with your care and your peace, that ultimately that that community turns to you first and foremost for healing and to be able to move forward with this crisis. Father, I also pray that you watch over the countless number of families who have lost loved ones in war, and I just pray that they seek you for peace and comfort as well. And Father, this morning, I just thank you that we have a hope in a day and age where all of this mess will be taken care of. And Father, I just pray that we together as a church, the, the community at Rob Elementary, the, the, the number of people who have lost their family members in war. I pray that we all put our hope in your coming kingdom. We all look forward to that day when your son hands the kingdom over to you and everything wrong with this world will be made right. And until that day, Father, I pray that you watch over us and bless us. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. So the world is full of evil people who have no hope. And the truth of the matter is that every single one of us used to fit in with the rest of the world. We used to fit in with a world full of broken, sinful, evil, and hopeless people. It's a very humbling beginning to our journeys as Christians. And this morning, Paul reminds us of that humbling beginning in our lives in the book of Ephesians. And we'll be taking a look at that. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll be going through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, as we continue our series on living like a saint. 
as we're going through the book of Ephesians, a book where Paul shares the need to live like a saint. And we're going to see in this section of scripture, we're going to see how, man, we fit in with the people of the world. And man, uh, let's just dig right into it. So if you have your Bibles, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So here again, this, this whole letter of Ephesians, it is addressed to the saints at Ephesus. Saint is just referring to someone who is set apart from the rest of the world. And so in essence, Paul is talking to the Christians at Ephesus. As we as Christians, we are set apart from the rest of the world. And so anytime in this letter that Paul addresses the saints at Ephesus, we can assume he is addressing us as well. As Paul, he's not, in this whole letter, he's not talking about specific problems and needs of the church at Ephesus, but he's talking about general matters, general issues of being a saint, of being a Christian, of being a child of God. And so here we fall in this same category. So Paul here, he is talking to you. So there's a couple grammatical points that I, want, that I want to take note of here in verse 1, which reads, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. The first one is that you there, the you is plural. And so we talked about this last week. We can read that as Paul saying, all of y'all, all of y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins. So this is, he's not talking about just one specific person. He's talking about the whole group, all the saints at Ephesus. They were all dead. All of you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And the second grammatical point that I want to take note of is that Paul says they were dead. They, they aren't currently dead, but they were dead in the trespasses and sins. Paul says that all of the saints at Ephesus, all of you guys, at one point in your life, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. Now, here in verse 1, Paul doesn't cue us in whether they are currently dead in their trespasses. At least not yet. We'll see that here in a minute. But we're just talking about their past here in verse 1, that all of the saints at Ephesus, that all of you guys, myself included, all of us, we were all at one point in our lives dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, sin just means missing the mark. And so our mark is to be obedient to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Whenever we miss that mark of being obedient, then we have sinned. And trespass is really a very similar idea. Trespass means to slip or fall away from the standard. And so if our standard is being obedient to God and the son Jesus, and we fall away from that standard, then we have committed a trespass against God. So we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Now there's some de debate as to whether Paul was saying they were spiritually dead at that moment or that in the state of sin that they were in, that they will partake in death when Christ comes back. With the context, there, there's a small discrepancy there. But with the context that we have, I'm not sure we can make a definitive stance on what Paul was referring to here, whether they were spiritually dead in that moment, or they had no hope of eternal life in the future because of their present sinful life. But regardless, what, however we view uh, this passage, they have a very similar implication and effect. Basically, Paul says that at one point in life, they were without hope. 
They had no hope of the resurrection. They had no hope of eternal life because of the sins and the trespasses that they were at in that moment. Whether they were spiritually dead at that moment or Paul just saying they were dead because in a sense that they wouldn't partake in the future resurrection and the future eternal life. So Paul says that every single person, at least the saints here at Ephesus, and that, and that includes us as well, all of us, we were dead in our sins, and so we were all had a life with zero hope. There's no hope outside of this life. And so Paul continues then in verses two and three, and he writes, and which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so Paul says that all of y'all followed the course of the world. And the world is a crazy place full of sinful people. Again, we were reminded of that this past week in the heartbreaking shooting at the school down in Texas. And as long as there is sin in this world, we will continue to see heartbreaking stories like this. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that as long as there are sinful people in this world, we will continue to see heartbreaking stories like that. As that is the natural course of the world. That is the natural course of mankind. Can I just say uh, for one minute that too many people, Christians included, too many people are seeking politicians to do what only Christ can do. We learned last week that God gave Christ power over everything. And one day Christ is going to come back and Christ is going to destroy the works of sin once and for all. You can't destroy the works of sin once and for all. I can't destroy the works of sin once and for all. Congress can't destroy the works of sin once and for all. The only person that God has handed that power over to is Christ Jesus. And so we as Christians, we, we, we've got to have a little less expectations, lower expectations of Congress because Christ is the only one who can ultimately solve issues of heartbreak, solve issues of sin and pain in this world. And so Paul says, similar to the atrocities that we see throughout the world, we too once followed this course. We too were once a part of this wicked world. We, we fit in with the rest of the world. And Paul said that all of y'all followed the, the prince of the power of the air. Many people in the ancient Near East at that time believed that the air was the residence of evil spirits. Whether or not that is true, we see throughout the scriptures that the devil is very much at work. John 14, 30 states that uh, he is described, the devil is described as a ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verse 4, he is described as the God of this world that we are living in. And so the devil is very much at work. And Paul says that all of y'all followed the prince of the power there. All of y'all followed the devil at one point in your life. Paul continues and he says, we all follow the passions of our flesh as well. 
I find it interesting that in verses one and two, Paul is talking at the saints at Ephesus. Paul is talking at us. He says, all of you guys were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then all of a sudden, verse three, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And so here, Paul, he, he groups himself in uh, this, this conversation as well, that we, the saints at Ephesus, and Paul himself, we all lived we, fought, we all followed the passions of our flesh and the desires of our body and mind. This means that this is the state in which we put our own selfish desires ahead of everything else. That's when we choose to lie because our selfish desire of staying out of trouble is stronger than any opposing force. When we are uh, following uh, the desires of our body and mind, that's when we choose to get drunk because our desire to feel good and forget about the world is stronger than any opposing force. That's also the state in which we choose to watch pornography because our desire to lust after other people is stronger than any opposing force. And so when we follow the desires of our mind, when we follow the desires of our flesh, we're putting our own selfish wants ahead of everything else, every other force. And Paul tells us we have all been there before. I have been there before. I have been at a point in time in my life where I was following the desires of my mind, following the desires of my flesh, and you have been there as well. Paul says we've all been there. Let me tell you, it is very, very evident in children. I love my son Ezra to death. But the truth of the matter is he is very, very selfish. Life for him is all about his own desires. He doesn't really care what his dad dad wants. He doesn't really care what his mama wants. And the, the sad truth is he doesn't really care what God wants as well. He just doesn't have that capability yet. And that's very evident, not just in my beloved son, Ezra, but it's very evident in your young children as well. And, and, and every child, we, every child has grown up to be very selfish as we were, by we were by nature children of wrath. We naturally are selfish. We, we naturally follow the, the desires of our mind and flesh as we were by nature children of wrath. And so that's what Paul had to say about all of you guys in the first three verses of chapter two. How are you guys feeling right now? Anybody feeling real peachy about themselves? Probably not. You're probably feeling pretty crummy about yourselves after what Paul had to say in these uh, first three verses. But thank goodness his letter does not stop here. Let's just read verse four here. Paul writes, but, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. This is where everything changes. After Paul gets done telling us how depraved we all were, he tells us that in the midst of all of our junk, and let me tell you a secret, every single person has junk in their lives. They may not show it on Facebook or Instagram, but they have junk in their life. And Paul says that in the midst of all of our junk, God loved us. 
Your neighbor needs to hear this. Your neighbor needs to hear that in the midst of all of their junk, God loves them. Your friends need to hear this. You need to tell your friends that in the midst of all of your junk, God loves you. Your family needs to hear this. In the midst of all of their junk, God loves you. And you need to hear that this morning as well. In the midst of all of your junk, God loved you. In the midst of your affair, your drunkenness, your lying tongue, your lustful eyes, all of the junk, whenever you were the furthest away from God you could possibly be, do you know what God did? He loved you. Because we serve a loving and gracious God. Can I get an amen this morning, church? Some people think that they are so totally lost that there is no way that there could be a God who would love them in the state of their brokenness. But that cannot be further from the truth because we serve a loving and a gracious God. And this love is dangerous, let me tell you, because this love that God has for us in the midst of our junk, it totally changes the way we look at other people too. If I understand the God of the Bible correctly, then he unconditionally loves all of us. God unconditionally loves the person who wronged you this past week. God unconditionally loves the person who wronged, or even worse, wronged your children. And if I understand the God of the Bible correctly, and if anybody thinks I'm misunderstanding the God of the Bible, I'd love for you to walk me through it, through the scriptures. But if I understand the God of the Bible correctly, then he even loved the shooter of the school down in Texas. The shooter who killed 19 children and two teachers and shot his own grandmother as well. Not only does God love him, I think God loved that shooter more than I could ever love any of you guys. I think God loved the shooter more than I could ever even begin to imagine loving my own beloved wife, Jamie, more than my beloved children, Ezra and Ayla. That is the God that we serve. He is so doggone loving. God is love. You know, so often people focus on how harsh and strict and he, he is, he's a judging God and mean, but he is a loving God at his heart. He is gracious, and in the midst of all of our junk, he loved us. I don't know about you, but that is the God that I want to spend an eternity with. That's going to be a glorious day and age. And so Paul continues in verses 5 through 7, and Paul writes, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
So here sometimes uh, Paul, he, he could be a bit difficult uh, to follow along as, as we uh, transcribe, as we go from the Greek language to the English language. It's difficult to see his train of thought and how it progresses, and he doesn't even finish his sentence at times. Uh, so we'll break this uh, down a bit. But Paul says in verse 5, even we were even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And so by nature, we were all dead in our trespasses. As by nature, we followed the course of this world. However, we were all made alive together with Christ. As Christ, he conquered death about 2,000 years ago. And Paul tells us that we too, we have been made alive together with Christ. We have the hope of the resurrection where our perishable bodies will be raised imperishable. We'll no longer experience death and pain and sadness. For it is by grace you have been saved. This is all due to God's grace. Grace just means undeserved favor. When you receive something good that you don't deserve, that is because of someone's grace. And by nature, we all deserve death. But God loved you. And because God loved you, he has made you alive together with Christ. We do not deserve this at all. But yet, we are raised up with Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly places. Paul writes that, made us alive together with Christ. Uh, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I believe we've been given positions of authority. I think we'll have authority in God's coming kingdom. I, I, we, we have been seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. And Paul says, this is all, verse 7, so that, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this is all so that God can show us his immeasurable riches of his grace in the coming ages. In the coming ages here that Paul's referring to, he's referring to the day and age in which Christ is going to descend from heaven to earth and this process of establishing God's kingdom here on earth. And Paul says, in this day and age, you will not be able to measure the riches of God's grace. You, you, you cannot measure it. His grace is going to be so abounding. This grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. As when Christ comes back, every one of us will have deserved death. But what we will receive will be so undeservedly good, undeservingly good that you will not even be able to measure it. And so count me in. Count me in. I want to be a part of that day and age where we cannot even measure the riches of God's grace toward us. So this last uh, chunk here that we'll read this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verse 8 there, that's probably the most well-known verse in this entire letter that Paul addressed to the saints at Ephesus. He says that we have been saved by nothing else other than the grace of God. That is how you have been saved. It's through the undeserved favor of God. And we're saved by grace through our faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. I like to compare uh, this gift of salvation to Christmas morning when a parent gives a child a gift. You guys have heard me use this image uh, before. But uh, Christmas morning when a parent gives their child a gift, it is the parent The parent is the one who is paying the price for the gift. The children didn't do anything for it. The the children didn't pay a chunk of this gift. It was just, it was undeserved favor. It's a gift, a free gift from from the parent to their children. And on Christmas morning, when a children presented a gift from their parents, they had two choices. Choice number one, they can choose to accept that gift that they have been given, and they can open it. Choice number two, they can reject the gift that their parent has given them. Now, I want to see all the hands. How many of you guys, raise your hand if when you were a child, you rejected a free gift from your parent? Raise it. Nobody. That's foolish. That's foolish. I would never, I would never reject a free gift from my parents on Christmas morning. Every single time that I was presented with that decision of whether I was going to accept that gift that they've given me or I was going to reject it, every single time I chose to accept that free gift. And so my mind is boggled at why the majority of people on earth will choose to reject the free gift of salvation. That pains me. That pains me. Because everybody, every little boy would accept a toy truck from his parent. Every little girl would accept a free doll from their parents. But when we talk about the greatest gift anyone could ever contemplate, all of a sudden, now people are choosing to reject that free gift. And it makes zero sense to me. It makes zero sense to me. And all we have to do to accept this free gift of salvation is through our faith. For we have been saved by grace through faith. That's how we choose to accept this free gift of eternal life that God has given to everyone. And all we need to do to accept that is to just live with faith. To have faith, a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. This is not a result of our own works. We're not the ones working for our salvation. It has been given to us. The price has been paid. God laid down his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That was the price of your salvation. And God and Jesus, they paid that price. It's free for us. All we had to do is to accept that with our faith. And so Paul continues, this is not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
So although our salvation is not a result of our own works, we learn here that God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. God created you to do good works in your life. That, that, that is part of your purpose as to why God created you. And so I encourage you, go out there and display your good works. Go out there and serve the needy. Go out there and show love to those who need love. For that is why, that's part of why you've been created. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's a lot here just in these 10 verses. But this morning, I just want to summarize three big points from this passage here that, that I hope we can all draw from these 10 verses. Point number one is that one point in time, we were all dead in our sins and without hope. We have to remember our humbling beginning. At one point in time, you followed the course of this world. At one point in time, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, and you had no hope. That's point number one. That's what we learned here in the first couple verses of chapter two. Point number two, while, this is important, while we were dead in our sins, while our lives were a huge mess, while we were following the course of this world, God loved us. <laughs> and God has saved us. Not when we had our life in, in perfect order, but as while we were a big train wreck. There's people out there who need to hear this message. There's people out there who think they need to get their life in line before they seek a relationship with God. But they need to hear that God loves them in the midst of their junk. God loves them in the midst of their sin and pain and heartache. And because of that love that God has for us, he has saved us. And then point number three, we are saved by God's grace. It's undeserved favor, and we accept that salvation by our faith. So because of God's love for us while we were a big train wreck, because of his great love for us, he has saved us by his grace, by his undeserved favor. And all we had to do to accept that salvation is we just had to express a living and active faith. It is truly that simple. It's what a glorious, glorious faith that we have here that Paul demonstrates here in just 10 short verse, verses in chapter two. I'm telling you, it's got to be a faith that radicalizes our lives. It's got to change our lives. We have got to look different from the rest of the world. This good news, it should motivate you to have a living and active faith and to live in obedient faith to God and his son, Jesus Christ. And with this good news, this gospel message that we have been presented, we have got to share it with our neighbors. We've got to share it with our friends and family members as well, because they've got to hear that in the midst of their train wreck, God loved them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we know that you first loved us, and we thank you for that. We thank you that even though you saw all of our hidden mess, our hidden sin, you saw all of it, Father, that you chose to love us.
And Father, we cannot thank you enough for that love. Father, I pray that that love changes our lives here at North Hills, that it motivates us to seek to live with you in your coming kingdom for all of eternity. And so, Father, we love you so much. It's in Christ's powerful name that we pray. Amen.